from the center of the universe and the home of your Grey Cup champion, Toronto Argonauts. It's the X's and Argos podcast. Welcome to the X's and Argos post-game reaction podcast brought to you by Something in the Water Brewing as the Toronto Argonauts take care of business and win 35-12 over the Edmonton Elks on their 150th anniversary week. Ben Grant joined, as always, by JB, and we'll give you everything that we saw in our post-game recap. But before we get to that, I want to tell you about Something in the Water Brewing. It was great to see so many listeners out at Something in the Water Brewing pre-game today. They had the margarita pizzas going on, of course, longboat as well. And I know everyone that I saw was partaking in in the longboat, which, uh, you know, I appreciate because it's the beer that we talk about on this podcast, but it makes total sense. It's a beer that is made for fans of the double blue. So it is made for you. So, yeah, awesome to see the support. I know everyone's been great. All of our listeners have been great in terms of getting out to something in the water, making it part of their pre-game uh, experience. And that's just, uh, it seems to be how it goes for so many of you. Go to something in the water first and then make your way down to BMO Field, which is just steps away from, from something in the water. So uh, again, love seeing you all out there. And uh, yeah, we'll do it again next week. All right, JB, let's get to this game. This was for, for putting up 35 points. The Argos did it kind of quietly it felt to me very much like a team that knew they were better than their opposition and they just took care of business and slowly made their way to an inevitable win (laughs) uh yeah i would think it would be a worrying to the rest of the league that a team could play relatively disjointedly with not its full roster of players and still double its opponent and put up 35 yeah and it it was you know it was it was pretty um it was pretty one-sided for most i know it got close a little bit like the elks did pull within within a touchdown and it it wasn't like it was it it, it was like it was settled at half but it kind of felt settled at half yeah it's that defense i mean that defense is python like you know it just slowly squeezes the life out of the opponent uh, and then by the fourth quarter, they're, you know, kind of limp and lying there and the game is over. Before we get into the recap and go through some of the plays that, that we saw and things we liked, things we didn't like, let's just talk about the the atmosphere, the environment, the festivities for the 150th anniversary. I have never in my life seen so many heroes from one sports team together in one place. And they went back generations and generations. You had guys there that that played 60 years ago, which is unbelievable to me. You had such amazing representation from that 1983 team, but it was every decade in in Argos history, dating back to like the like the 40s, like where they had uh, representation. It was just to me, it was it was mind blowing. But what an event! And round of applause to MLSE and to the Argonauts and everyone that that made this event possible. I know there's so many people that went into working on this, but yeah, it was an outstanding spectacle. Yeah, it was, I mean, to be honest, it reminded me of the Canadians, you know, a, a sports franchise that 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 values its history and, and, and knows how integral it is to to them, you know, existing, that, that it, they're not just a sports team, but that they are part of the, the fabric of Toronto history. 
And uh, they really showed that tonight. I thought having the uh, surviving family members of some of the older players who had passed on, uh, having John Candy's kids was amazing. Um, you know, uh, the way they, they did it in a really kind of uh, very simple way, you know, really simple, but very celebratory. <clears throat> Excuse me. You know, um, led by pinball. Um yeah, it was it was amazing to watch. It was amazing to see how happy the guys were uh, to be there. And even though it wasn't the, the biggest crowd, which is to be expected, I think, when a team is not playing for anything, uh, I thought the crowd, you know, really did themselves proud, um, you know, with the with the the volume and the the enthusiasm for what was happening. So it, in the end, I thought it it was a really, really terrific night. It was a highly enthusiastic crowd because you had the passionate fans. Like Friday night in Toronto is a hard sell at the best of times, but on Thanksgiving weekend as well, the Argos already you know wrapped up uh, their number one uh, seed position. So all those things going against it, you had the diehard fans that came out to see there were, the There legends. were a lot of um, random jerseys at this game, much more than you normally see. It was pretty cool to see. Yeah, guys digging into the deep into the closet to find like, hey, you know, this player is going to be at the game. I, I have a I have a jersey from, you know, whoever it was. I have not seen Clemens. a foggy jersey in quite a while. Yeah. Yes. Ricky Foggy. Um, that's yeah, that was fantastic. And, uh, you know, how about the how about the opening kickoff ceremony, which they, they haven't really done a ceremonial kickoff in, in years that used to be a pretty traditional part of football games. But that's not something that that's done anymore. This was a pretty cool event to have uh, to have Prefontaine and 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 Chamek and Elisic come out and do a ceremonial kickoff to Rocket Pinball and Chad Owens. That was unbelievable uh, to see that happen. And then all three guys were able to field the ball cleanly too, which I was worried about. You know, somebody pulling something, but no, it didn't. No, and, and didn't look, happen. I mean, Chad led the way because he obviously looks like he can still play. He does. Uh, so he took it to the end zone, but then so did Pinball. I know. You know, again, you'd re- for sure you worry about about things, but Pinball looked great. You know, he picked it clean, he read his line, and he was gone. Pinball is ageless, uh, and yeah, a lot of those guys are. These are these are special human beings. Uh, they are not built like everybody else, and it looks like Pinball looks like he could still play, but Chad Owens, he's he looks like he's might be in he might be like bulked up a little bit from his playing days too. He looks like he could go for sure. So yeah, that was that was really cool to see. And then the, they brought out the different decades, and then it seemed like every it seemed like every commercial break it was somebody new because it wasn't just it wasn't just like the a couple dozen players, including the ten time like or the ten all Argos. I mean, uh, all time Argos that were out there. They had so many returning Argos that they couldn't they didn't have time to announce them all, and so they had to bring them out in like two big groups at the end after they introduce like the sort of top 20 legends uh, it was unbelievable and they had cheer teams going back into the 70s as well <laughs> yeah. and they all did a routine together they went and learned learned their routine phenomenal like what a, what a what a show that was yeah very very well thought out um clearly uh designed and run by somebody who who it was important to and then well executed and uh you know, and then the team came through and uh, kicked the stuffing out of Edmonton. And, you know, it's a, a perfect night. Nice, beautiful fall night down on the waterfront. I mean, God knows it can get pretty cold down there in October. It's a bit of a it's a bit of a crapshoot when you 
uh, you know, you're down there anytime after the middle of September. Um, but uh, a very successful evening. And no real wind at all, which is perfect for the drone show that there also was with the drones uh, forming all the different Argo logos over the years and then ultimately turning into a cannon and then having a cannonball fire out of the drone well, cannon. I would, yeah, I would be in favor of the drone cannon moving forward. I, the cannon gets me every time, even though I should be used to it. I can't believe uh, you're not. You, I don't even flinch anymore. It, but no, it makes me jump every time. I always forget every 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 game. And and there was one touchdown where we got two cannons because they believed AJ Olette had crossed over the end zone. Well, it was ruled a touchdown. Yeah, Cannon fired. Got called back slowest, to the one. The world's slowest uh, replay there. Yeah, and then Cannon fired again on the second touchdown. Well, let, let's get into the game a little bit. Uh, Toronto, I thought, set the tone nicely early. That first drive that they had for a touchdown was just, it was clinical. And, and Chad Kelly looked very machine-like early. It was the second drive of the game. It wasn't the opening drive. The, the first drive actually went very poorly. He got sacked on the very first play of the game. Incredibly. <laughs> like, they, they just left... They just left the end unblocked. Like, well, I don't, I don't think that's how that play should be drawn up. It's not how that play should be drawn up. And I don't even know. I couldn't <laughs> even tell. Five-step drop with an unblocked end. And three different <clears throat> Elks hit Chad Kelly at the same time. Like, yeah. I thought I, I thought I must have, when that play happened, it was a play fake to A.J. Olette. And I thought A.J. must have the ball. Because why else would you leave the end unblocked like that? It didn't make sense to me. And I wonder if there was, maybe that was a miscommunication because... They blocked it like AJ had the ball and not Chad, because you often leave an unblocked end on a running play. You never leave an unblocked end on a passing play. So that that didn't make sense to me. But Edmonton was was determined to get to Chad Kelly early. They called that off because it wasn't working. But the initial plan was to blitz. They blitzed on like five of the first six Argo snaps. Yeah, that's a, and and Chad weird, took advantage of it. It's a weird choice. I know when we do our OCDC, and that has never occurred to me. Like I think that he has shown that. First of all, the offensive line is is very good, and that is not. I mean, that is that has not to me been the way to get to to Chad Kelly. No, he's he, too smart. He, he doesn't get rattled. He he. I I do think he sometimes he gets bored or frustrated, uh, but rattled is not one of the uh, the things that he ever becomes. And so many times early on, they brought two guys from the same side. They brought the Sam and the the halfback from the same side. And Chad kept running those simulated snaps so he could see it was coming. And he knew exactly what to do. And he kept burning them on the side that they were coming from. They had a, a numbers advantage. It was always like three versus two or, or, or two versus one or whatever it was, that scenario. And Chad just kept finding guys on the sideline with difficult passes to bring in, but he could get the ball there. And then... Once the Argos got up a little bit, I felt like they had a chance to run away with it in the first half, but there were a few miscues. You had an overthrow to Tommy Neal, which may have been on Tommy Neal. We'll talk about that one in a second. An overthrow to Devaris Daniels, which I think was more just bad luck. And then a drop from DeMonte Coxey. And I feel like those plays were all in the second quarter. And that would have, like any one of those might have turned into a touchdown. Let's talk about that Tommy Neal play, a corner route. To me, it looked like the ball was on the money, but Tommy Neal didn't run through his route. Yeah, it, I mean, it's always hard to tell, but that that's what it looked like at, at first blush, that, you know, when he made his cut, he looked back, um, wondering if the ball was going to come. And, of course, therefore, he's not running at top speed, and the ball is being thrown to a receiver who should be running top speed the whole time. And thus, you have a, you know, 
four yard difference between the two. Yeah, I mean that that's a pretty elementary mistake. Um, I don't, you know, I don't know whether they're not getting a ton of time practicing together or or not. But it, it should be. It, it, I, I agree. It looked it looked rusty. Um, you know, it, it felt a little rusty uh, to me. I mean, I know there's some reasons for why some of the balls weren't completed, but it was certainly not an offense that was firing on all cylinders. There were a couple of back shoulders that were just slightly off. And yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't know how else to describe it, but it looked like to me like the off, like the quarterback and the wide receivers were not totally timed. And I would bet that's probably a result of the kind of revolving door of receivers that they've been going through with all the injuries. And also remember, Chad wasn't getting the first team snaps last week. That would have been Cameron Dukes getting snaps. And he's probably yep. getting more snaps than he usually does, too. But it's, uh, you know, now, now Coxie's in a main, you know what I mean? You're yeah. you're changing the type of receiver and the speed of the receiver. And, you, you know, it's it's tough to develop chemistry with with everybody. But, uh, yeah, that, I, I thought that was probably on Neil, that he, he didn't run through that corner. The one to Devaris looked like he got jostled a little, a little bit. Not something you'd throw a flag for, but that slowed him down. And that's why that one, I think, was overthrown. It may have had a bit too much on it anyway. And then uh, Coxie dropped one that I think he was thinking about after the catch before he'd caught it. Because I, I believe it was cover zero. He had inside position. The ball was low. It was sort of down near his knees. But he tried to catch it without breaking stride instead of decelerating a little bit and making sure he secured the catch because he was thinking if he could catch that in stride, he might have been gone. That might have been a long touchdown play. But he ended up dropping that, which we just don't we, we don't see that a lot from him. It really drives home to the, the kind of perfect symbiotic relationship, you know, between Chad and the defense on this team and that the defense is so good and so dependable that they basically keep giving Chad quarters to keep playing. And Chad is so good that even when he's not really on, he still is going to hit, you know, three times out of 10. And that's 21 points. And that's enough to win. So it, it works really well where, if, like, if it was a team with a much weaker defense, I think um, some of some of chad's off moments would would register in a in a deeper way and if the quarterback wasn't as good as he is you know the team would not be would not have the quick strike ability that that allows the defense to get to play up with with the huge lead so it's the two of them make each other so much better it it really is sort of a magical uh, combo did you feel like aj olette got more carries more involvement than you were expecting tonight he ended up with 14 carries 65 yards I wasn't sure we would see that many carries from AJ like we've we haven't there's been some games like early in the season where we didn't see that many carries from AJ for him to have 14 uh, too many surprised uh, a little surprised um but I I do think they they were they were keen to have a pretty close to game you know, full game roster going for this game. I think winning this game was important to the team. And, uh, you know, I think his involvement, you know, sort of reinforces that, that, you know, that they were, this was not treated like an exhibition. I felt like they wanted to make sure they won the game. But then once they knew they had it in hand, like once it looked comfortable, that's when I felt like Olette got pulled. And Dukes was in not too long after that. And, Let's not forget how 
hesitant Coach Dinwiddie has been in his time in Toronto in putting in backup quarterbacks in quote-unquote garbage time. He, he generally doesn't. Like, how many snaps did Chad Kelly get last year prior to his one game that he got near the yeah, end against Montreal? I wonder, I wonder if they were worried. The game was definitely a little chippy. It, it was. Obviously, you have some bad blood between the two uh, in terms of, I'm sure Coach had them fired up to play the Argos. And, you know, Toronto has had its way with Edmonton. And, uh, you know, they're trying to come in and they're a young, you know, developing team. Uh, and the Argos are top of the hill. And so they kind of want to make their bones uh, taking on the champ. Um, so, yeah, I, maybe they were concerned that that there might have been, uh, you know, that Coach Jones is going to dial up something a little exotic and uh, and uh, hit Chad. Well, and Chad did take some hits. He took some really hard hits somewhere of his own doing where he just hung in a long time. And one of those was on that kneeled in completion, which was so unfortunate. You'd like to see him come up with the ball when, when your quarterback's going to take a hit for it. But they just didn't throw that much. They only threw 16 passes. Chad was 11 of 16, 68.8% yeah, completion was, rate. An incredibly effective performance you know that they didn't show very much they did exactly what they needed to do to to have a uh, a convincing win some new stuff though they weren't as vanilla as last week on the offensive side of the ball or defense they did do some different things but they were conservative in that they ran way more than they threw which you don't typically see from a cfl team uh, 19 passing attempts and over 30 rushing attempts so that that kind of tells you right there the style they were looking for. Yeah, and they did. You know, I thought Trey Ford was pretty impressive. I have to say, watching him in person, um, he clearly is a dynamic athlete. Um, you know, as a quarterback, if he continues to develop, yeah, I mean, he he's going to be a problem um, in terms of the dual threat quarterback. He is very much that. He had one preposterous touchdown in the game. Um, you know, where he sort of ran in circles from the whole defense and then threw across his body to a guy in the end zone with arm strength that should not be able to exist. Um, so I, I was pretty impressed and I thought thought they did a really good job of keeping him in the pocket for the most part. He had one or two runs, but he was not certainly running all over them. And, uh, you know, so I, I, I agree. Like, I think they definitely dialed up some stuff to keep him under control because they did not want this to be... You know, with all those guys there, they they definitely did not want to lose that game. I was surprised at the looks that Coach Mace gave because last week, like we said, it was just base everything. And it was exotic today. They had blitzes coming from all over the place. They had different coverages disguised differently from what I'd seen before. They would uh, show a lot of pressure and then back away and send only three or send four, but not the four you thought were coming. And, you know, it it was interesting, creative. And I think, like you said, they wanted to make sure they got this win in front of their home crowd. But on the 150th anniversary in front of all those legends, you want to make sure you don't lose to the Edmonton Elks in that game. And they just weren't going to let that happen. The defense alone wasn't going to let that happen. Uh, just before we move on to the defense, let's just talk about uh, a couple of the numbers, a couple of the performances. Weird that there were only four receivers involved for the Argos today. Four receivers targeted. That's it. The entire night. Coxie with seven targets. Ungerer with six. Neeld with four. Devars Daniels with two. No one else with targets. 
very unusual by Chad Kelly's standards. It's partly because he only threw 16 passes, but Chad spreads it around typically. He also likes to throw to his backs uh, when he needs to check down. And and Devaris often is is up there in targets, only getting two today. That was really uncharacteristic, but I wonder if that was sort of more part of the plan. Uh, maybe it was, let, let's let's not throw that much to Devaris today. Let's not get our backs involved in the passing game uh, and just sort of try and beat them this way. But it worked. Obviously, whatever they did, it, it, they got enough done. Uh, rushing, I loved that we got to see Dan Adebaboye in there. He had seven carries, 41 yards. He is fun to watch running. He ended up with the best average on the night. Uh, Olette had the most yards, 14 carries, 65 yards for 4.6 average. Adebaboye was almost six yards a carry on his work. And, and he impresses me more and more each week. We don't get to see a lot of carries, but he's got a nice combination of burst and strength. Like He hits people in a similar way that A.J. Olette hits people, but he's also got a little bit of shiftiness to him. So as he continues to develop, I think he's he's worth keeping an eye on and I think has shown enough to maybe make an argument for getting a lot more playing time and a lot more snaps next season. And, you know, a great McMahon game. You know, I, I, I definitely thought about him for player of the game because uh, he was terrific in kick return. And he scored a touchdown on a nice inside run that needed, you know, some toughness to get over the the goal line. And, you know, he showed, again, a, a kind of a lightning to, to the thunder that we had. And he definitely is earning earning a spot on that team. I think that, you know, we, we thought he would be a real asset. And tonight was really, I think, where he showed what he can add to the, to the team, both special teams and, and as a back. So let's talk about shutting down Edmonton because they they scored 11 of their 12 points in the first half. Their only point in the second half was on a rouge that were I don't know. I don't know what was going on. Like Edmonton's punter was having trouble. There were two occasions where he was trying to pin Toronto deep and neither were close. One went like 15 yards into the end zone before it bounced. The other one was about halfway into the end zone before it bounced. Um, and that was where those two rouges came from. But yeah, 11 points in the first half. It was close. It was 18-11. It was a touchdown game at half, but it just never, it didn't feel like that. So what was Toronto doing to shut down this Edmonton offense, which has been a problem for other teams? Edmonton's been playing very good football since Trey Ford took over at quarterback. They have a winning record in that span. Uh, their only wins in that span. Yeah, I mean, I you know, I think it's, it's you know, watching it, it, it is pretty straightforward in that you have to take something away. So, you know, they took away the run, you know, so it was not a, you know, a two-front war. And they did a very good job of keeping the 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 contain and the boundary set. So that a couple of times they got upfield and he, and, and he forward got out down the field. But for the most part, uh, you know, they, they sent enough guys from the outside to keep him in check. I mean, you know, they basically dared him to beat them with his arm, which is the traditional way of defeating the dual threat quarterback is until the dual threat quarterback can beat you with their arm, then, you know, then they're not Patrick Mahomes, uh, you know, then they're not Doug Flutie. They're not, they're not elite. They're just um, a problem that you have to try and scheme up. And they showed that in terms of, Ford's development that'll be the question is he going to be somebody who can who can 
punish a team for letting him throw. I thought one of the reasons we didn't see, like the defense I thought played extremely well, but we didn't see much from Flo Remolade in this game. And I think one of the reasons why they were really conservative with how they rushed around the ends. You notice it wasn't it wasn't the ends that were getting to the quarterback today. It was it was the tackles because the ends were being so careful not to go flying around the corner after Ford because he exposes that when you go flying around the edge, he cuts through and yeah. it makes a and- play. And, and so, when you see him live, you you get a sense of how elite his speed is. Like it is, it is impressive. Yeah, he's a four four. He ran four four at the combine. He's he's a four four athlete playing quarterback. He's the fastest quarterback in the CFL, and it's not particularly close. No, yeah, I mean, I I think, you know, people are I'm you know are happy for Edmonton that potentially they have something, but we'll see you know i don't want to be down on trey ford but we'll see because that is definitely the knock against the dual threats is you got to be able to play with both hands if somebody ties one behind your back you still have to be able to uh to be dominant and uh he he is not there yet in his development but he's a heck of a quarterback so i'm you know i guess i'm happy for edmonton <laughs> we don't see them that often so yeah you know if someone's I'm gonna fine. have yeah, yeah if someone's gonna, gonna have go, found a quarterback it can be edmonton yeah i'm not sure if they found one but they might have found one which is you know more than a couple of teams i feel pretty good about him I, again for his for his first year starting and it's only been a few games too and i know like you you're saying let's wait and see until people have film on him and i think bc oh. started that trend a few yeah. weeks ago and it, but if he does get the throwing down, yeah, he is going to be <laughs> he is going to be a problem for sure, for sure. He is because he's he's got that Houdini thing going on already, and he's got a cannon of an arm too. Like he can yeah. rock it. Oh yeah, I that, mean, that touchdown pass where he so first of all the ball was snapped from the sixteen yard line. He dropped all the way back to the thirty five in trying to evade defenders. He had McManus and Oakman on his heels he shakes them both somehow and he's on the far left sideline now at the 29 i think he'd come up to when he where he threw it from and he threw it across the entire field into the end zone and gavin cobb is wide open it was a 12 second play it took 12 seconds for that play to run which is a that that's a century in in football play time and so no wonder gavin cobb got open he was he was the fastest guy at the combine a couple of years ago and you know he you can't stick with him for for 12 seconds in the end zone but for ford to be able to escape like that and then have the arm strength to throw it across without floating it so that it gets picked but also the wherewithal to be able to find Cobb because obviously that's not his route. That's just scramble rules at that point. But that play was, that's one of the highlights of the, the season that will be on the, the top, top 20 highlights of the season at the end of the year. That was just one of those plays. The referee almost got in the way of that play too. I think Ford wanted to take it back to his right. He went to turn and there was an official standing right there. So he had to come back towards McManus and, and Oakman and still made the play. It was yeah, bizarre. Uh, Kevin Brown probably doesn't like playing the Toronto Argonauts. He no, they they absolutely have his number for the second time. Yeah, this that was obviously one of the plans too. Like we're not going to let Ford escape the pocket, and we are not going to let Kevin Brown run on first down. They were all over him. His first three carries were on first downs, and he had like minus four yards rushing after them. He ended up with ten yards rushing on the game. And that's with a 10-yard run thrown in there. So, yeah, he was... And he's, he's I think, the second leading rusher in the CFL. 
coming into this week. He's been a sensational running back this season. And I do think he's one of the best backs in the league. He did not look like it today because they were sitting on that. They were all over Kevin Brown's runs. And then the job that Qantas Stiggers did on Gina Lewis was amazing. Gino Lewis was so frustrated coming to the sideline. After every series, he was complaining to the referees about being being held. Uh, he was, you know, uh, forcefully pulling off his chin strap as he stormed to the sideline. Uh, very frustrated. He ended up, I think, they have three catches at the end. Three, three catches for 33 yards. A pretty quiet performance from Gino Lewis. We've seen certainly huge games out of him. But what does it say for Stiggers, who's playing the boundary side now normally that would be Jamal Peters and Peters and Lewis have had some classic matchups Stiggers I think had the best performance anyone's had against him he did uh, you know I do think it's a little unfortunate because it, it probably suggests that he won't be with the Argos next year um, as he goes down south I'm sure he I'm sure he will attract um, NFL interest with his you know his 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 measurables and his ability to 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 pick up everything that he's being coached you know he is now playing different positions he plays them all really well he plays the run he plays the pass you know he's physically intimidating but also he can you know run down the field with Gino it it's a pretty it's a pretty impressive package i mean I felt like we we saw it early and 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 were excited for it, and he has definitely gone through with that. You know, he he is. Um, I mean, I hope he stays, but he is. You know, he what he's done this season is incredible for like not just a rookie in the CFL, but you know, for the lack of really professional football in his in his resume and no, no college football at all. Right, and the fact that he's able to play these different positions in a, you know in a league that is wider than he's ever played in, with rules that are different than what he's ever played, um, you know, I'm sure the coaches are just, you know, just can't believe that you can find a rookie. I mean, it's just out of it's just honestly, it's bananas to have a rookie who can be useful at a couple of different places. Like that's that's what vets do. Not not somebody who's learning the game. And 21 years old. Like, 21-year-old shut down Geno Lewis today. And that's why yeah. he's going to be in the NFL next season, I think. And we, we said that in training camp. We said this guy's going to the NFL in training camp just after seeing him a couple times in practice. Because he just, yeah, he didn't look like any 21-year-old we've ever seen up here. So, yeah, it makes sense. And I hope he does get his shot. Um, because, I, you know, I, I would love to see that happen for him. Uh, but, yeah, you hate to lose a talent like that uh, if you're the Toronto Harganauts. But we're talking down the road here. Just... Today, to be able to shut down Gino Lewis like this, uh, again, in front of that that crowd and those legends was was pretty cool. But all around, I thought the defense was amazing. How about that interior, too? Hendricks didn't play today. He got a rest. And so they go with Brinkman and Oakman. Oakman was a machine tonight. He, was, you, he flashed his speed. He flashed his strength. He bullied the center continuously. He was lined up as a Noah's a lot, especially when they went to that three-man and he just had his way with with a really good Edmonton center um, who just couldn't hold his ground. He was on skates all night. And then Oakman went chasing after Ford a couple of times, which is impressive for a guy that's like 300 pounds, six foot eight or whatever he is. It's, uh, it's that's not normal. <laughs> no, uh, I mean, I love the Oakman. We've talked we've we've talked about it. I love the Oakman Brinkman combo. I think that is their best combo on the defensive line. Obviously, I don't want it to be at the expense of Hendricks, but 
if you know if they can get the people in a lab with their calculators to figure out how to make that happen I, that that is certainly who i want to see come the playoffs yeah they got to find a way to get those those three guys they just never yeah it never seems to to work that way um some concerns uh, a little bit on the defense in terms of uh Jordan Williams was supposed to be starting at middle linebacker today and he didn't end up getting to go at all. And I, I guess uh, something happened to him in, in warm-up or in pregame or something like that. So we'll have to see what that situation is and how that develops. The good thing is the Argos have time. And so if he tweaks something in the pregame warm-up, then you know, you're, you're, not, you're probably not talking, you know, fingers crossed and knocking on wood, but you're probably not talking about something major. Hopefully it's something with a few weeks time uh, he can heal and rest. He's got like four weeks before uh, before they need <laughs> to, to play. So much time. It is a lot of time. But yeah, that's that was the only concern. I didn't see anyone else go down with injury. A couple guys got banged up a little bit, but nothing that they couldn't seem to jog off with. Uh, you know, I want to... I do want to check in uh, with Deontay Knight and see how he's doing. He was down for a little bit, but hopefully that was just cramps or or something like that. I couldn't I couldn't tell. He seemed to come off the field just fine. I hope uh, I hope this doesn't mean that I'm going to have to write articles about statues uh, again in terms of the next month. I'm ho- I'm hoping there'll be more something exciting happening in these football games. Well, I like the fact that they like they obviously know they can't just rest everybody, but you can't even rest guys for consecutive weeks, really. The guys that are injured are different. Those things, you know, you got to take care of it. Obviously, we see Jamal Peters, Cam Phillips, guys like that that are, have been shut down and will come back when they're needed. But in terms of resting guys like Chad Kelly, I don't foresee that being something that they do a lot of down the stretch. It just doesn't make like you don't want to risk it too much. You, it's too, it's too dicey to to have a miss like two weeks in a row is asking for it, especially knowing you've got to buy in the first week of the playoffs. So coming down the stretch, the Argos have have what three games remaining, and I I, I think he's probably just going to miss one of them at this point because if you miss both road games at Saskatchewan, at Edmonton, that would mean he would have three straight weeks off going into the East Final, and that's that's not smart. So no. I think you are going to see some good football played still. Like I think that that's what we saw tonight. A conservative yeah. game in terms of numbers of throws, but it, it was still a good football game to watch. Yeah, he, he played okay. I mean, he played fine. I, I would, I mean, I can't lie. I, I would like to see um a slightly cleaner game from him prior to the playoffs but there's still time for that he just didn't need to do much right like number 11 for 16 a drop and a poorly run route you wipe those out you're looking at what 13 or 16 like you know that defense gives him an incredible uh margin for error yeah no it's true right and then and then his skill gives the defense the lead that lets them play the way they do and speaking of defense, that Wyndham McManus pick six Ugh. was a thing of beauty. Everything about that. Walk us through that play, like what you saw from from Winton. Yeah, I mean, it. I mean, obviously, like that's his kind of bread and butter. That sort of uh, linebacker uh, hook drop, uh, where the uh, you know the quarterback has a guy running it in, and he just doesn't see the linebacker coming from the other from the other direction. And, you know, McManus was shot out of a cannon. It was clearly film study in the formation and the route because, you know, he ran like a, there was something on fire. 
because uh, he knew where that ball was going. Um, you don't often see linebackers catch the ball mid-run, but it essentially he just ran from his linebacker from his position and caught the ball and then was gone. And Ford had no no idea he was there because there was play action, and Winton didn't even didn't even think about the no, play action. He, he knew it clearly wasn't. they had looked they had seen that on film that this yeah. is a look, this kind of you know play action, you know uh, in or slant or what have you, and he just ate it up. And the speed to get to the end zone, because Kevin Brown was just hauling after him. Kevin Brown looked like he was fired out of a cannon after him. He's he's a fast, fast athlete. And Brown tracked him down at about the 10-yard line and just didn't have enough strength to bring McManus down, which is impressive because after that long run, guys just don't have their legs turned to jello at that stage. And McManus was not going to be caught. He wanted that pick six so badly. And so you fought through (laughs) Kevin Brown's tackle. He is. I feel like, you know, everybody, you know, I, I have sort of self-nominated picket for uh, for defensive MVP and McManus is uh, is in full hold my beer mode. He is because uh, Pickett had a dropped pick six. He could have easily had a pick six today <laughs> at the end of the game. You just don't see that from him. He makes play after play after play. And there he undercuts a short route. The Argos are blitzing. Ball has to come out fast. Pickett knows where it's going. Hits him in both hands, and there was nothing but daylight in front of him. It was he could have walked in for a touchdown, but he just couldn't secure the football. I mean, I still lean Pickett, but certainly McManus is—he's making a case. He is making a case because he is dominant in run stopping, and now you know uh, a, a scoring machine. It's uh, it's a lot in one package. And let's just dive into special teams quickly before we we start picking our players of the game and wrapping up here. Uh, Javon Lee, another astonishing game. I thought he had the CFL record. There was one punt where it looked like he was going to take it. Actually, there were two where he looked like he might take it the distance, but one especially down down the boundary side, and he ended up getting tripped up by the punter. But what a night for him. Well blocked, but... He's just got a gift now for setting up his blocks where he he knows just he knows exactly how to set them up. You'll see him take two steps this way and then come back this way. And it's almost always there. But, yeah, what a night from Javon Leak. Yeah. You know, I mean, the game, I'll be honest, was not always a nail biter. So there were times where I was, uh, you know, in my mind, workshopping some uh, some nicknames. Uh I, I do like for Leak. I am moving towards the uh, the Lakeshore Express service. Um, with you know shout out go train um for leak i mean obviously leak shore is right there but maybe that's a little too punny i'm so i'm I'm leaning right now with the lakeshore express service uh for for javon leak so i'm I'm gonna move forward with that and then in the kicking game boris bd two for two on field goals uh he moves into i think it's into 23rd all yeah, time Bo- on the boris the boot, again just so easy to take for granted what he what he delivers in terms of uh consistency and power uh and i don't know it's going to be tough for haggerty i really think it is because boris's punting has been uh very good yeah he's he punted extremely well the the punt that went out at the one he had some really nice hang time on others he ended up with yeah he had a long of 59 and it's clearly not affecting his kicking game you know it, it, it you know, it, it, 
Yeah, he, he's, he's having making, one of the best seasons of his career, kicking yeah. field goals. But he averaged forty nine yards a punt, and they were they were well placed punts. So, yeah, tip of the hat to Boris Beattie. He was fantastic tonight, punting and kicking. Javon Lee playing well, and they did fairly well in stopping C.J. Sims. Like C.J. Sims burned them the last time these two teams played. Remember, he had a couple of of yeah, monster the, returns. The the outside contain on the. Um, on the kick return was 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 impressive it was you know very it was it was teach film a couple of times it was really really good guys getting outside and and he and turning him back into into pursuit flow i i uh and guys getting down the field quickly i i thought the i thought the kick return game was uh was excellent tonight yeah no it was on point for sure all right well let's get into our players of the game and our play of the game so uh, you go first. Who is your player of the game in this one? <laughs> um, you know, this is where I like to shout out all the players that I almost picked. Um, you know, I I liked uh, I liked always. I always like Pickett, but that gets very boring. Um, I like McMahon. I thought he really. I thought he really popped. Uh, Leak had a nice game as well. But I'm gonna go with uh, you know. Speaking of nicknames, I'm gonna go with my guy, the CN Power. Um, I thought that Oakman was fantastic. He he is always good, but sometimes he is dominant. And tonight was one of those nights. He had an early sack, which um, they then turned into a you know a scoring drive. It ended Edmonton's scoring drive. It kind of you know the, the overused expression, but to set the tone, uh, you know he set the tone early. Um, his pursuit was excellent all game. He, he, yeah, he was all over. He was all over the field. You, you know, you, you, I noticed him seven or eight times, which is, um, you know, a little unusual for a defensive lineman, to be honest. And, uh, yeah, I, for me, he was, he was their, their player of the game. I'm going to go less obvious than I usually do here. And I'm going to go with Mason Pierce. And the reason I'm going with Mason Pierce is, not so much like I think I think you could very easily argue that Oakman Pickett, uh, you know, McManus may have had more highlight plays or maybe a better overall game. Mason Pierce was an afterthought coming into this season from the Colorado School of Mines. Nobody really expected too much of him. He wasn't really even expected to, to dress. He gets put in the lineup because there are injuries to Robertson Daniel, uh, Deshaun Amos and is tentative in his first action. He's playing way off the ball, really late to close. The next game, he's slightly better, and then slightly better after that. I thought he was absolutely solid today. I thought he had great coverage. He delivered a couple of really solid hits, uh, forced an incompletion. And then he had a pretty ridiculous interception, a play that uh, would have, um, I, I don't think it, I don't think it was a ball game at that point, but this really did end it. A complete, what looked like a completion to, to Gavin Cobb. Yeah, Cobb was I, running thought he, a seam I thought he came down with it. Well, I he did. did too. Yeah, I did too at first. And, and well, he would he have, did. he would have if it weren't for the nonstop effort for Mason Pierce. So like as Cobb is going down with the football, Pierce is like somersaulting over him, trying to still brick at the pass. Like he hasn't given up on that part and ends up actually pulling it from his arms before he can secure it. And he actually got a run back too, but it, it was correctly called down at the at the spot. But what an interception by by Mason Pierce! So that incredible athletic play, plus the aggressive coverage that that we saw from him, I just think to see a player that you weren't expecting at all to even dress suddenly, not just start, 
but be one of your better players on defense in any particular game, I think is is a real a real tribute to uh, the effort that he's given and the talent that he has. So I was super impressed with Mason Pierce. He's my player of the game. Yeah, and you know that's a great choice. You know, in, and Harry played great as well. Like it's a, right. also obviously um, an incredible testament to the defensive back coaching. You know yeah. that, that they are able to to get guys and 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 work them in, and you know not necessarily plug and play guys, but you know guys who are learning and they're able to coach them up and get them confident and um, you know it it definitely is a, a bit of a factory <laughs> over there right now it is that's and that's just it like you know hats off to to coach fields coach bell for being able to like think about that they're without jamal peters uh deshaun amos robertson daniel robertson daniel was arguably the best player on defense until he got hurt it was either him or Pickett. deshaun amos is an outstanding player jamal peters was a, an all-star and you know one of the best one of the best corners in the league those three guys are out three other guys come in and they don't miss a beat it's it is unbelievable actually that they've exactly. been as good as don't, they have don't even think about taking coach bell coach mace yeah wherever you end up next year <laughs> uh play of the game what do you have for your play of the game um again <laughs> it was not not the most tension-filled game um you know, I I thought about Pinball's return. I thought that was uh, a wonderful kind of uh, early play of the game. Um, but just slightly after Pinball's return is is my play of the game, which was BD's punt that went out at the one. Uh, it buried Edmonton. Edmonton was unable to move the ball. Toronto then scored a touchdown. When Toronto scores first, they are almost unbeatable. So in a sense, he facilitated Toronto uh getting out in front which then means that they're going to win yeah that's i know i i like that call as a as a play of the game it's an underrated punt but it, it bounced at the nine and took a sideways hop and just slowly made its way i think the other you know sims back there couldn't believe what was happening there he was sure first of all that it was going to bounce into the end zone and then as it started rolling towards the sideline it just kept getting closer and closer and closer and then out at the one like give me a break he's probably thinking so yeah pretty amazing Pretty amazing uh, punt from Boris Beattie. My play of the game is going to be way more obvious than my player of the game. It's the pick six from Wyndham McManus. And the reason for that is the game was done. Like at that stage, Toronto's up a touchdown and Edmonton was driving. Trey Ford looked really good up until that pick six. He was playing great football. He'd started to string some passes together. His stats at that point were excellent, making good decisions. And then Wyndham McManus executes that pick. Now it spreads the uh, the lead, but it also got in the head of Trey Ford. He was not the same after that. After that, when McManus picked six, he misfired. He, he, he threw a ball down the sideline for Lewis in frustration. Uh, Stiggers was all over him. There was nothing there. He fired a ball well over Gavin, Gavin Cobb's head. He threw a, a Cobb on a ball where Cobb wasn't even looking, where I don't think Cobb knew that he was an option on that play. It just seemed like uh he was off the rails after that and it, it took it took a while for him to settle down a little bit and by then uh it was it was too late and the Argos had built up too much of yeah. a lead I mean I would imagine that it um you know as a young quarterback I would imagine that it's really um 
you know, unbalancing to throw a pick where you didn't see the guy coming. It's one thing to make a bad throw and underthrow, or you thought you had a window and then there wasn't a window, but, but to throw a ball that you think is going to be a completion, then out of nowhere, a guy comes like that, that has to be, you know, now you start seeing ghosts. Now you wonder every time you throw a ball, is it going to be a blue shirt that comes screaming out of somewhere that I don't see? Um, I have to imagine that that at least some of that um, happens to a young quarterback, and it's emotionally frustrating too. You're look, you're trying to tie the game up. You're you're actually putting things together. You're like, you know what? We have a shot. If we if I keep playing like this, we're gonna win this game. And then suddenly it's over. Like one th- one throw, and you're like, oh well, that's that then. And uh, yeah, that that's what it felt like. That's what it looked like for us. Well, that will just about do us do it for us on the post game reaction episode of the X's and Argos podcast. Next game. Ottawa at Toronto next Saturday, October 14th. Uh, make sure you catch our pregame walkthrough this week. But that will just about do it for us. For JB, this is Ben Grant saying so long and may all your pre-snap reads be good ones. I'll see ya.